GM, GM, welcome to Web3 Academy, your one trusted source to capitalize on the next big phase of the internet. Don't get caught in the hype cycle. I'm Jay Bird, joined by my co-host Kyle Reedhead, and we believe that real-world assets on-chain are going to change the world. That's why we're carving a path for doers to confidently build and invest in Web3. Today, we had Nicholas from Courtyard, and I'll be honest, what a relief this episode was, first of all. But second of all, it's often hard to find use cases on-chain that are like just so obvious, right? Like stablecoins is one of them. We always talk about that, which technically is a real-world asset if we're talking fiat-backed ones. But then it's sometimes like iffy, like, is that better on chain? Is it not? Like, we always find the reasons why they are. This one, bringing trading cards or collectibles on chain is so obvious. This was one of my favorite episodes. And and Courtyard probably is one of my favorite, like, businesses that are building on chain right now. Because what they're doing is just like, they're using the tech the way it's meant to be used. They're abstracting away the tech. People don't realize it. But the tech just makes using collectibles just so much better. It removes so much friction. It extracts a lot more value to the people that have them in terms of if they want to sell them, et cetera. It's just, it's a win-win-win for everyone. And I love to see that. It's really, really cool. I think this might be the best use case. This might be the best use case for on-chain that we have heard. And I, and I don't just mean Pokemon cards. And Nicholas tells a great story of how they initially started uh, courtyard, what the focus was, how they built courtyard, how they contacted Brinks and got Brinks involved. There's something that I think that you don't understand until you listen to this episode that moving a collectible, a physical collectible, like a pair of shoes or a watch or a piece of art or Pokemon cards, moving that on chain, not only does that make that collectible easier to buy, sell, and trade, like I think we all get that, it also has the potential in the future to make that collecting experience way better and way more social and way more engaging and add so much more to that to being a collector which I don't even, I didn't even really fully get that until this episode. Yeah, but there was a point every once in a while we have episodes where like there's a point where I think both of us are just like oh, I see it now and I definitely had that this when I realized like once you put it on chain or once you put it digital, but you need to have it on chain to put it digital is the key takeaway here. Uh, but once it goes on chain to digital, it's like an extension of that physical product where now you can do so much more with it. And especially when you include AR glasses, it no longer is like it's going in a, in a vault and I never see it again. When you include tokenizing it and then putting it into AR, well, all of a sudden it comes back to life again, but in a way that is like endless, right? And you can do so much more with it than even what you could in the physical world. If you're not following, just watch this episode and you're going to be like, whoa, this is huge. And you can apply this to way more than just cards, to basically anything in the physical world. So, wow, I'm bullish. Yeah, it, 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 I mean, let's just get into the episode because I think Nicholas explains it better than us. But <laughs> whether you're an investor in the space, whether you're a builder, there is so much to understand from this episode and to learn. Before we jump in, we'll just take a minute to hear from our sponsor. Modern newsletters are built on Paragraph. That's right. Paragraph is a brand new newsletter platform that combines the best parts of Web 2 and Web 3 to supercharge newsletters for both writers and readers. Build a community, not just an audience. Paragraph uses blockchain tech to allow readers 
to collect and own the words that matter to them. This takes reading a newsletter to the next level. With Paragraph, readers can mint, collect, and show off quotes from their favorite newsletters. This opens new possibilities like creators sharing revenue with fans. I also love their new feature, Paragraph AI. This integrates GPT-4 natively in Paragraph create, edit, and improve your writing effortlessly with one click. And guess what? We at Web3 Academy are on board and have already moved our content over to Paragraph. We believe this is the future of newsletters because of the profound engagement it creates between creators and fans. So whether you're a creator, writer, or an avid reader, it's time to check out Paragraph and capitalize on the opportunity of being early. GM Nicholas, welcome to Web3 Academy. Thanks for having me. Super excited to have you today. Been following Courtyard ever since you guys really made the shift into Pokemon cards. Who knew that Pokemon cards on chain would be the highlight of Q3? That was definitely not on my bingo card this year. So much to discuss about everything you guys are building at Courtyard. Before we do, though, you've such a great way of explaining why is on chain better? for physical collectibles than the current way that we manage physical collectibles? That's a great question. It's funny because we initially thought of it as we're going to bring physical collectible and bring them on chain. And we recently shifted that to kind of realizing what problem we're solving. And what I noticed is with the rise of NFTs, we've seen what a proper digital collecting experience should be. What I mean by that is with NFTs, you can see what people have in their collection. You can make offers on assets even if they're not for sale. You can send an NFT within a second to somebody at the other side of the world just without having to do a transaction. You can just send it to them. And so this liquidity and this way of like collecting digitally where you could have communities online that hold different assets and you can only access that community if you have one of those assets. Those are really like a, a core value and a core thing that I think we want to bring to the physical world, because right now in the traditional collecting experience in the physical world, you have to buy assets on platforms. It takes time for them to come to you. You might not be able to buy a collectible from somebody who, if you're in the US, who lives in Japan, just because it doesn't make sense from a like geographical location to send that assets. There's ta uh, like custom fees to, to be sent and so on. So we thought of it as let's bring all the good thing that the NFT has brought to the collecting world and bring it to the traditional world. So that's the, the first main reason is it's just a better experience and it feels more liquid. You, you can really manage a collection in your pocket and bring it anywhere with you rather than to leave it in your closet. And the second piece is the beauty with blockchain is everything is in the public ledger. And the advantage of it is anyone can build on top of you. That's what I love about it because there are so many companies that specialize into one specific use case of the technology and you don't need to build everything yourself. So there are places that specialize in aggregating liquidity. There are places that specialize in fractionalizing assets. Some people who focus on like collateralized lending and we can use all of those platforms directly because it just works with the technology we're using. And so this interoperability between different platforms, I think is key. The fact that you can use in different marketplaces as well. So you could sell your core chart assets on core chart, but you can, if you prefer to use another platform, you can also trade on those platforms and access those other liquidities. And so because of that, I think it's really the next level of 
collecting that can be brought by that that new technology that that was not there before and we can really focus on being the best platform at bringing those assets providing the best marketplace experiences but anybody could build technically on top of us so people could even build game on top of us you can just verify that people own those specific assets in your in their wallet and build a game on top of it so i think that's a really powerful way of approaching it and that was not possible before before web3 it's like mic drop on chain is better than online. <laughs> Thanks. You've solved the problem. Well done. It's, it's so, it's, so when you say it like that, it's so simple and so obvious. I mean, it, it, it just makes sense, right? It's just better. And when you go to traditional collectors at conferences or card conference, we focus on cards, right? So when you go to card conference and you just explain to them like, Hey, actually this is my whole collection. And if you want, you can give me $50 and I send you the card to your account and now you have it. You don't need to carry it everywhere with you. It is better. It works better. And as the world is going more and more digital, the the question is like, are people going to be more online in 10 years than they are today? And if the answer is yes, we need to be able to bring that digital, that collecting experience into the digital world in a better way. And so that's where we are working on to, to bring that. When, when you go to these card conferences, just curious, what's the take that people, when you go up to them and you say this, or you guys are pitching this idea... Do people that aren't like crypto natives or Web3 natives, like, do they get it? Or are they like, this doesn't make any sense to me? The fun story is they get it without having to mention the word NFT or crypto. Right, nice. There is a, a kind of a negative connotation with NFTs because of the, the rise and fall of NFTs and like some people seeing with a lot of like scams that happened, a lot of Ponzi schemes and so on. And so we leverage Web3 and NFTs as a technology more like a backend that allows to do everything I just mentioned before. They are not especially interested in that piece, but they just see how the platform works and it just works and it's just better and it looks and feels better. And because of that, they understand and they just see like, that makes sense. I'm tired of like having those super high feet to get the cars, sometimes they get lost. And so we have a lot of those frustration that have built up in the last few years with people collecting as similar to when Web3 went up a lot, collecting went up a lot as well. So cards, watches, and so on have all seen a, a rise in value and people have seen those as a nice way to to put the money in and collect. And so there, there's kind of this resurgence on this. Yeah, you've touched on a, a bunch of points there that I think we're going to dive deeper into this episode. The interoperability and composability layer is something I'm excited to chat about more towards the end of this episode, but I think it's something that people don't necessarily see because it's we're still so early. We haven't seen the potential yet. So we'll talk about that. Uh, but I want to come back to the beginning uh, because you guys have a very interesting story at court, Courtyard. You didn't necessarily find your niche or your uh, inflection point of growth right away. Uh, and I think a lot of founders have that feeling. You know, you start a business, you have a vision, you have a mission, and you go after it. And the market doesn't necessarily respond. You don't find product market fit as quickly as you would like. Can you just sort of walk us through the origin story of Courtyard, what your initial focus was and how the shift has happened to finding this niche of currently being Pokemon cards and obviously extending beyond that into physical collectibles as well? Definitely. Great question. I keep on mentioning to, to my team and in general that Launching a startup is like getting slapped in the face every day for like two years until like, <laughs> uh, and, uh, 
the, yeah, <laughs> uh, like two years or more until like you, you keep on iterating until you find something that actually people are interested in and you dive deeper into that. The way we approach things is really, we don't approach those as, oh, it's a failure. There's no interest on it. It's more like we're learning. This is another thing. And so that's a check. And so now we can move on because we have that knowledge that this didn't work. And so we should focus on something else. So it's kind of like we have all those hypotheses that we get from gut feeling knowledge of the market and so on, seeing what could be improved. And we see like, is that an interest? We've done that at convention as well. Like we've done things like selling digital model uh, of people that would just pay to get their whole assets digitized in the 3D model. And that was a failure. Like we did something with like different launches and so on that were a failure. And so approaching those as kind of like, let's see what a market is interesting in, iterating very quickly to find like something that they're interested in. So to come back to the, the origin story of Courtyard, it was two years ago, actually close to two years ago. Next week is going to be two years. So that's we incorporated the company. So I wanted to launch a company. I had different ideas and this is, was at the beginning of like really the boom of NFTs. It was before boarded. It was at the time of Hashmask. So prior to a lot of like the huge boom we've seen. And I really saw NFTs as a way of like proving ownership anywhere you want. So you can really go to any platform and say, I own that thing. And we thought of it as like, why don't we tie it to something physical that would be stored and insured in a very secure place. And then you will be able to trade that digital assets in any other platform. And whoever owns it can say, I own it. They prove that they own it in a digital form. And then we would allow for redemption. We would use it as kind of like a proof of ownership that you would destroy if we ship it to you. And then you can redeem it anywhere in the world. How the, the second piece was about trust. So we thought of it like, who is the most trusted company that we think that we know of that would be like able to store those assets because why would you trust a startup with your highly valued collectibles that you care so much about because they're collectibles so you have a more than a, it's more than financial right like you have a like sometimes like a, a big affection for for those assets and so we thought of it as actually I have a, a little truck for those who don't know we thought of it as like Brinks the security <laughs> company you, you see those this is one with the, with Portrait. So we reached out to Brinks, explained to them that we were this team, we have a pretty good tech background. So I came from Google, my co-founder from Apple, and we're, we were a bunch of people from, uh, from big tech with this idea of like, this is the future for collecting and we want to leverage your facilities for that. And so it worked out well. Brinks ended up investing in us as some incubator. We went through Y Combinator, raised money, and then we were off to the start to, to start Courtyard. Walk us through a little bit further of what that looks like. So more on like the terms of how the product works of Courtyard before we go go into more things. But I have a collectible. Let's say it's, a, I don't know, a rare Michael Jordan rookie card or some Pokemon card or whatever. And I want to put it on chain. I'm not sending it to Courtyard. I'm sending or Bricks is coming. I assume to pick it up from my house. And then they're what putting it in their vaults. And then you guys are then tokenizing it, throwing it on chain. And now you can do whatever you want with it on chain. But it always kind of lives in the Brinks like vault. Can you walk us through that a little bit further and help people wrap their head around how this, how Definitely. the physical thing connects to the digital NFT? Definitely. So our main focus for the last six months has been increasing the amount of asset on chain, because as a marketplace, you need to have assets to be able to get the demand mm -hmm. for this. Right. And we we're kind of at that inflection point right now where we have about like a close to hundred transaction a day on the marketplace. So a lot more liquidity is starting to come. And we have about 200 to like 500 new assets coming in every week by users. So it, it is not wow. with an armor truck. Armor truck, we, we've done some armor truck, but then you need to have 
it, it doesn't make sense uh, if it's not like a hundred K plus of assets. So we've done some average up pickup. It, it doesn't make sense on that end. So we made it as simple as possible for users. So on the platform, you can click on the tokenize button and we essentially, you provide your collection, how many assets you have. We only deal with graded assets, right? Not graded cards. You have a flow where you say how many assets and so on, what's the value. We insure those assets and it's a USPS packaging slip that we create for you. So within two clicks, you get the USPS, you print it, put it on a box, send it. It goes directly to the vault facility. They have a processing facility to receive packages that separate to the vault because we don't want to give the address of the vault, of course. And so a Brinks employee with a camera opens the package, tracks the shipping number, and based on the shipping ID, we know to what account it relates to takes the card, scans the cards. We do the 3D model, we put it in the vault, and then now you have that NFT in your account. You can do whatever you want with it. You can use it in the other platform. You can trade it, you can grow your collection, and we're going to do a lot more through that. So th this is the, the main process on how things typically work. I would say like the majority of assets are done either through users sending us cards or we source cards ourselves and we do things, we're going to talk about it, but we do those drops which is similar to when you open a pack of cards of Pokemon cards or whatever cards you have, you open it and you don't know what you're going to get behind. So we use the technology to provide this digital pack opening experience where you have a card inside. It's all fairly transparent. So there is a randomization on chain through chain analysis, chain link, sorry, chain link random creates a random number that defines which pack you're going to get. And we're able to create those digital packs. You buy a pack, you don't know what about, like what cards you're going to get. There are cards of various range of value and you can keep it closed, resell it closed or open it. And so we have a lot of people getting assets through that. And so the, the last piece as well, I forgot to mention it, but it's been growing a lot. People are buying directly from eBay, sending directly to the vault on this because we have a lot of people from international crowd as well that are shipping cards directly, buying from eBay and sending to the vault. So meaning the person selling it, someone buys this and then they say, hey, can you send it to Brinks, not to me? And then it gets to Brinks and then they tokenize it and now it's on chain? Yeah. Interesting. And what if you want to claim it? So the other end of it, now I, I've, I've bought it off the marketplace, but I'm like, I want this thing in my house. Do I burn the NFT and then it gets shipped over to me or how does that work? So we have a whole process for that. So you would see the assets in your account. So you will see, like we notify you when the assets receive at Brinks and so on, it gets to your account. Then you have the option to list it. If you want to list it, you will accept offers. You will receive the offers that people send to you. And then you have a button that's called redeem, where when you click on redeem, you select all the assets you want. You put the country of where you're located. And so what we do, we do upon redemption, we do KYC. So you need to go through a KYC the first time to make sure you are who you are. And we collect a shipment fee for redemption and as well as sales tax, if there are sales tax. So if you bought an asset, we would need to collect sales tax for the last transaction. For instance, if you live in France, there is a VAT tax and it doesn't go through customs if we don't pay that VAT tax. So we collect that from you and we pay it on your behalf for the users. But we do redemptions. The advantage of working with Brinks is they have a network of 150 plus countries and they are used to sell actually gold bar anywhere in the world on this. And so we are able to scale our, our operation to do redemption to any country that most of our users are. I think there are a few countries that are not allowed for those type of redemptions. And we had redemption, I think, in 18 plus countries. So, wow. 
it's an incredible idea. And Jay, I know you're about to jump in, but I just have one last question on the Brink side of things. When you went to them and you pitched them this, I know you said they invest in you. So obviously they, they must've thought it was a good idea, but like, did they think it was a good idea from the beginning or did you have to do a lot of convincing or were they like, what are you talking about? You want to use NFTs and tokenized Pokemon cards? Like what's going on? What was their reaction? I think it's more of you have all those assets that sits in in vaults, right? Uh, primarily gold, but like you have all those assets that are not moving. And actually there are some market sale from like large holder that sell to each other and sometimes just move from one place to the other inside the vault. But there's not really a, a platform that allows for that transaction liquidity happening mm. on top of it, right? So I think they, they saw it as a way of like, this is a future when it comes to like right. owning things and it's a new segment and opportunity for it's a new type of assets right collectibles and so they saw it and we had like some big champions at brinks that really saw the future of it it was at a time as well where everybody was looking to build things regarding web3 and so it was kind of this new future of like this is where the world is going now, a lot of it has moved to AI, but I still believe like there is a lot going with Web3. <laughs> but yeah, so they were a team that they were able to, to take a bet on us. And uh, and yeah. Cool. Congrats. It's, That's awesome. it's interesting that you bring up this concept of gold bars being in vaults. And this extends to many high value items that basically sit in vaults, have very low liquidity. It's very difficult to buy, sell, trade them. And... I'm curious, when you first started Courtyard, obviously Pokemon cards was not the focus in the beginning. I don't believe that was the focus, at least. What was the initial focus that you guys went after? What was the initial mission and vision? And how has that changed throughout the past two years of building this business? So funny enough, it was the focus initially. Come so, uh, the, yeah, so... I thought of it, so we saw like our market was like the NFT crowd, right? And I thought of it that right. what is something that most of that demographic used to have? And I used to have Pokemon card as a kid and it's a lot of nostalgia. And now a lot of, a lot of those people have disposable income and they love to collect and they learn this passion for collecting. Similar to baseball card that are worth now millions and millions of dollars, vintage baseball card, because people that now have a lot of money one those and there is less and less of those, right? Mm -hmm. And I do believe like Pokemon cards is a similar type of assets where our generation, which is, I would say like the 25 year old to like the 35 year old person who used to have those back in the day when they were a kid, now those assets have appreciated a lot in value. And so that, it just made so much sense. Plus it's GCG, it's a bit geeky. So people that are in this new type of technology love, love those type of assets. And so the, the way we started, I had, no money funding at the time. I have a very good friend who was an engineer at, at Tesla and basically lent me $500,000 to buy cards. So the way I did, I, I, we, we, made a we made a contract that we were like, all the cards belong to you. If we don't sell out, you can get the cars. There are liquid assets. You can resell them and so on. And so I literally got the money and went ahead and bought $500,000 cards. So I didn't have that much experience in buying high volume of cars. No, I do. But so, yeah, we bought those cards and we did a, a drop at the time. So close to two years ago, we did a drop of unrevealed cards. So we got this pack. You didn't know what you were going to get. It was on Polygon. We didn't have a marketplace. And I believe the drop sold in like something like an hour and a half or two hours. 
So we, we were able to sell them all. And that was really the, the start of it. After that, we moved to different type of assets. We did something with sneakers. We tried to work with different brands as well to see if we can provide more of an infrastructure for physically backed assets. And really the thing that changed the game for us was to realize like we're a consumer brand. We are the best marketplace for cards right now. We want to focus on people talking about the assets themselves rather than the technology. Because the challenge, if you focus too much on like, we're selling physically backed NFTs, most of the users who will buy it are interested in the tech, but they might buy one Pokemon card. They might buy two Pokemon cards because it's cool. Look, I have an asset, an NFT that's backed, but they're not passionate about the Pokemon cards themselves. Mm -hmm. And so now we really move the switch to let's abstract the tech. So if you go to a marketplace, we completely abstract it. Like you can pay with credit cards. There's no gas fee. Everything is in dollar, like completely abstracting the tech if you don't care about the tech. But if you care about the tech, you can bring your own wallet. We, we provide a lot of feature for like more advanced users on this. But moving the focus to that to really like, let's talk about what we're selling, which is really awesome, cool collectible that you used to have before. And let's make it fun to collect them. And that's really when like we saw like a, a rise in terms of like our traffic or demand and, and so on. Who are the customers? Are they more crypto native? Are they more new customers? Do you have any data on that? We do. So so I would say the majority right now, I would say it's the majority on traditional NFT collectors who have a newfound love for the cars they had before. The interesting piece is a lot of it is happening through credit card because we're, we're on Polygon. Maybe they have ETH, it's too complicated to bridge and so on. We're working on features so that you can buy everything regardless of the, the chain, regardless of what assets you have, like working on features so that anybody can just buy it directly. But yeah, so the, I would say the majority is Web3 user, but now that we have a lot more cars, some cars are really well-priced as well, we see a lot more Web2 users starting to get on the platform because we abstracted the whole Web3 things and they just like the way it's used. And so we see that when people understand the platform and start using it, they're like, this is just, it works, it's better. And so they start using, so we see a very high, retention rate of users when we start on the platform. And what's the the business model? Is it fees in the marketplace? Like kind of like how OpenSea or something would do? Or do you guys have some other way of, of monetizing this? Yeah, so we see we have a pretty low redemption rate. So uh, less than 1%, right? And so assets are so liquid that a transaction can happen very quickly. So we see much more transaction happening. So actually much lower in transaction fee. We only take 6% transaction fee. That's all in all 6%. If you look at the eBay, it's about like 13 plus percent, plus you have shipping costs and so on. So we created this place where now you have all of those assets that are staying there and just being traded all in all afterwards. So that's the first piece. We also have the drops where we sell assets. And so we are able to source assets below market price in bulk and then sell them at market value in a close back, actually. And what about the fees to tokenize the asset? Like if I send it in, there's got to be a cost associated with that, I would assume, because otherwise I could tokenize it, then go to like, I don't know, OpenSea and sell it. And then you guys are making nothing. Is, is there not a fee associated with the tokenizing aspect too? So we would make a fee on OpenSea as well. So like there will be a like ah, uh, on okay. the royalty side as well. So right now, and I want to keep it this way, like we see that the assets, when they get in, like people tend to lead them in. And so we yep. are lowering as much barrier to entry to get onto the platform. So we're not actually right. making you pay pre-tokenizing, so we're taking on all of the costs. We're a VC-funded startup, of course, so there is a cost of acquisition to put assets on the platform. 
but we are limiting as much friction as possible. We're creating as as little friction as possible for you to put your asset on chain. So that's why we we even get to the shipping label. We even get to like the insure piece. Everything is free on that end. And if I'm a a new user, or I guess maybe actually the better question is how many people coming to Courtyard right now are coming with their own wallet versus how many are setting up a wallet through Courtyard? Do you have stats? Yeah, so anyone gets a wallet instantly. So regardless if you're a web user or web user, you get a wallet. So you log in with Google or with an email, we automatically create a wallet for you. What you can do is you can link your additional wallet and have two two wallets in your account. And then you can decide which one you want to set as priority. But any assets on either of those wallets will show on your account. So if you have two assets on your Web3 wallet and two assets on your Courtyard wallet, you will have four assets on your account. We do that so that you don't have to worry about it, but you can still bring your whole experience, your whole wallet to the platform. So right now we have, I would say about like 30 to 40, I would need to look at the, the data, 30 to 40% peop- uh, of the people have two wallets in their account. Hmm. Wow. Those new wallets that are being set up, are you calling them wallets? Are you calling them accounts? Like, do they feel like a crypto wallet? It's, or do you really it's a non-custodial wallet. It's a non-custodial wallet. So I'm happy to, to show you and do a quick demo if you want. But like it's a non-custodial wallet. You can receive like USDC from it. Like you can send USDC to it. You can send any tough sort of currency to it. You can only use it within the core chart ecosystem. Right. But you can easily transfer it to somebody else. You guys are using Privy Tech to uh, build that, right? That's right. Yeah, we, yeah. we're using Privy Tech, which has been awesome to to work with. Yeah, we just had um, Henry from Privy on the podcast, and he went through all the details of how the wallet works and everything. And so we're, we're very familiar, which is super cool. We absolutely love it. And I think it makes, like you said, try to remove as much friction as possible from the user, from the end user, and it abstract away all of the Web3 related tech as, as possible. And that's how we're going to go mainstream. So it's really cool. And speaking of mainstream, how big is the is the TAM of trading card traders or holders or collectors, I guess it's called? Any idea how many people are using that? How many cards are out there? Like, what kind of market share are you guys working with? So when you look at Pokemon card only, it's about $4.6 billion. Trading cards right now is about $22 billion. And so it, it is a big time. And then you have so many different categories, actually. You can have things like comic books. You could have sneakers. Coin is surprisingly bigger than trading cards. So graded coins is actually bigger than trading cards. It's a bit of an older... Like is it like a, like a quarter or like a loony? Like a, yeah, like a, old, old coins, collectible coin, old coins. There's so many different types of coins, gold coins and so on. Like it's a huge market with a different demographic. Art is a huge market as well. So th- there's just different categories. But what we noticed is somebody who collects sports cards is different than somebody who collects like Pokemon cards, comic books, mm-hmm. sneakers and so on. And so... All of those have different user base. Long-term, we want to add different categories and have those different types of users. But if we go too general too quickly, which we did initially, you will not get those network effects where you will not have the demand of people. Because now if you send your Pokemon cards, you will actually sell it within a week if you price it according to the market, right? And so we want to provide that experience to users. Right. Right. The Amazon model, right? Like we'll go all in on books first and then eventually we'll move out to other things. You guys are the same thing, but we'll start with cards. I I like to see that Pokemon is our books from Amazon. So yeah, (laughs) I love that. I'm curious if we weren't tokenizing cards and I wanted to sell a card today, you said I could sell it on on, in your guys' platform, Courtyard, within like a week, as long as it's priced properly. 
how long does that typically take? If I was to do it not with Toby, like how much better are you guys making this? I assume it's only going to get better. So that's probably going to go into like, it's going to take seconds rather than a week in, let's say a year, two years from now. But right now, like, I assume there's probably a lot of friction and not, maybe not a ton of liquidity currently to sell cards or what's the comparison like? So in, in terms of, and it's a good thing, right? Like the bigger the platform, it's the traditional marketplace effect with network effects, right? Like the more users, the more valuable the platform becomes. And so we're seeing quite a bit of new users and we see some people already like starting market making on our platform. So they, because pricing is getting more and more like readily available again, like there's technology to look at like, what were the last sold for those cards on eBay? And like, it's a very standardized model. And so some people would start to make offers at like 70% on all the cards and just like making right. market making themselves and then reselling them higher and making money. And so we see a lot more people actually making money with Courtyard on that and providing just market making, market making the platform. Right now, I would say like the best bet for people selling cards is eBay, but then you have to be like an approved eBay seller. You have like the high fees you need to incur. You need to do shipment yourself. It's a lot to inventory. I mean, it takes a long time. I have a lot of cards here to show you. It's a lot of like, you have those, those are stacks of cards, but like, it's a lot of cards back and forth that you need to like stack up and, and so on. And so it, it takes a long time. There's a lot of packaging involved. Whenever we buy from eBay or something, we receive like 50 packages with different like plastic wrap and stuff like that. So it, it is a bit of a grind. What a lot of the professional dealers do is they pay tables to go at conferences and open up a shop. So they have a table with all their inventory and they sell it at conferences. And so those mm -hmm. people I have tremendous respect for because they literally spend every single weekend of the year flying across the country to go to another show to sell the inventory, buy some inventory from users. So there's a whole of like hustle culture in that. Wow. The difference from that. I mean, I actually remember when I was, I don't know how old I was, maybe 14 or 15, I actually sold uh, baseball cards on eBay before they even had like credit card hookups. So like you would get a cash in the mail for your poker, like for your, oh. I think I did some Pokemon cards. I can't remember, but I definitely did baseball cards and hockey cards. And, uh, and then my dad started doing it a ton. He still does it today and in sort of different ways, but it's interesting to see how far it's come, right? First they added PayPal and then they added like, I think you can just pay with credit card it's now. Crazy. Still gotta... It's crazy how things, technology has changed so much. I mean, even like when you look at a, a fun story that's completely unrelated, but a bit similar is like when I was working at YouTube, there was this guy who's been working there for like so many years and he actually got his job at YouTube in Craigslist. So there was a Craigslist post to get a job at, huh? like to tell you how evolved <laughs> the technology <laughs> has changed from it, right? right? And it was like, you're a dinosaur. You work from... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so similar to like eBay before there was like getting the things in the mail, like it's crazy. So now it's the next, next wave of it. So you guys are using Brink to hold everything. Does this become like a centralization point? And maybe I'm just like going too far on the, you know, without tinfoil hats, I think, but like, let's say all cards eventually go in here. Does this become like a bit of an issue or like, what are you guys thinking about this long-term when everyone starts using this? Cause it, it, it's one of those products where it's so obvious and so much better. Like if you're selling anything, why would you ever not use this, right? So you would assume in 10 years from now, you guys gain a lot of market share. Everything's in Brinks. I don't know. Is that an issue or I guess not really? It's a, it's a really good question. Here. And there, there are uh, competitors that have more of a decentralized approach, which I think makes sense in theory. In practice, if I have a $50,000 watch, my watch is either on my wrist in my home 
or in a very secure place of a company that's been there for 200 years and I can trust right. and I trust for, for their assets. I'm not going to trust some person that I don't know of that will enjoy my watch or my collectible in their home that I'm not even certain that they will hold it properly on this, right? So I think when you talk about physical objects and like storing, it's different for like real estate, for instance, because the house is there and doesn't move, right? Right. But when you talk about collectible that have like some sort of value, in my opinion, there has to be some sort of centralization right. by a trusted entity to keep them secure and safe because it's an expertise that it's very hard to build up and it's a trust that you cannot get from like anyone. Right. And, and I guess it's like, there's always some sort of trade-off. If you have a physical thing, there's always some sort of risk that someone's going to steal. So it's probably better in a Brinks vault than it is in a, you know, a vault you got on Amazon that's in your, you know, behind your bed or something like that. So I guess it makes sense. You got to have, you got to put it somewhere. And I guess that's probably one that you would trust more than anything else. One thing that we've talked about is it's so clear the buying and selling experience of physical assets on chain is better. There's no doubt about it, especially when, as you guys have set up in this system, the physical asset is safe, secure. You don't even have to think about it. And you can just focus on having this great digital experience. I want to understand what are the other ways that you are sort of reinventing might not be the word, but improving the the collection experience, improving this experience of being a collector and how are you doing that? And I know you've talked a little bit about doing drops, so maybe you want to talk about drops, but how do you think about improving digital collecting uh, as a whole? Great question. So I would say the three elements. The first one is, is around drops, uh, as we talked about. So because with the blockchain, we can put a transparent way of repacking things digitally. So when you go to those conferences, a lot of people take cards, they put it in bags and they have like hundred bags and they're like, buy one. I put the, the top cards in it. Trust me, it hasn't been revealed yet. And they sell those bags for like hard. And, and it's something that happens quite a bit, but like, there's no trust. The beauty with blockchain is like, now you can look at the smart contract that actually all the assets are there. You can verify, you can prove that the assets have been assigned in a random way to you and you can prove that your card is actually inside the pack, the digital pack. And that's really powerful because it brings number one, trust. And so you have this digital repicking. It's fun because people love to open packs and see, oh, what am I going to get? Am I gonna get getting the Charizard or am I getting the, the Squirtle? Or... And so bringing that in a digital way is fun. There's a whole industry about like opening packs getting the feeling of like, what am I going to get? And it happens digitally. You see like NBA Top Shot did that only digitally and people still love ripping packs yeah, digitally. Did. People go on whatnot and just watch people open for them because it's digital. They don't have to do it themselves. And so creating that feeling and that experience for people is a really, really powerful, powerful thing. The second piece is around, we're working a lot on, I mean, now we have so much to build, but working a lot around making it fun with like leaderboards, like having like badges if you complete a collection and those type of things that are, I think, going to bring a lot of value for people to have their collection digitally, like organize the collection how they want and like find the grills that they were looking for. Like maybe there is going to be bounty where like, I really want that card. And so, you know, that card is looked for for that. And so people might source it mm -hmm. for him. That's another piece, like making it fun with like points and stuff like that. The last piece is around just providing like this 
visual experience in a 3D. So I'm so excited to see Apple, for instance, releasing the headsets because Apple has never failed a product launch. And so maybe not next year, but think of it five years from now. Think of like a trade show where you will have your Apple headsets and everybody would receive an headset for the ticket price. And it's a digital trade show where you carry around like all your cars that are digitalized and you can just buy and sell on this. You could interact with them. Mm. You can enter people's vaults. Like there, there's a lot to it that I think we have not seen a quarter of it. You could build those digital experiences. Pending licensing, like those, you, you cannot do too much on this pending licensing. As brands get into it, maybe you will have your Nike shoes that are digitized in your game and you can redeem them or use them in your avatar. Anything is possible once you open up that, that door and the technology is getting better and better for like digitalization of assets and like interoperability again. And the fact that you can prove that you actually own that, you could use it in whatever other platform. You just kind of blew my mind and where I'm thinking, let's say you have a physical card, you put it in Brinks, it gets tokenized, and then you put on your AR glasses and now that card is back in your hand, but in the digital format. And exactly. You do whatever you want. And you can lend it to your oh friend to, to have your collection. Right. You can have your vault and you can let people enter your vault and That's see your collection cool. on this. The other yeah, thing I think of is it makes way more usability of these cards. Cause like for now, let's say you have a nice card, you don't want to bring it anywhere, especially if it's worth a lot. And so let's say you go to an event or you go to whatever, you're probably going to keep that thing at home. Whereas now you get to bring it with you. It's on your phone. You just go, look, I have that card. Here's the proof that I have it. And maybe there's digital experiences that can be unlocked. I mean, we see this all the time with NFTs of opening a private discord, right? giving a discount on something because you you are part of whatever. Like we do an on-chain gift shop every week where people that have specific NFTs get access to a raffle where we're giving away prizes. And now all of a sudden your trading card that was useless in the physical world because you can do it in the digital world, now it can start to unlock different experiences and benefits. And so can get it, exactly. So uh, uh, a good analogy that uh, I keep on using is regarding Jimmy Neutron. So it's this little cartoon, like the scientist's uh, little kid. He has a cube that he carries everything around in his cube. So he has all of his objects and he can remove them from the cube and put them. This is the Jimmy Neutron cube. You can get your, get your collection in your pocket, literally. And like anyone can see, I can send it to you within a second. And it's like, bring your collection with you anywhere you want while keeping it secure. Knowing you can get it back to your place whenever you want. It's amazing the ability to interact with what you own when you can have it be experienced in a digital way because so much art is the best example to me of this only because my wife worked on a project with a very famous art collector who basically has warehouses, vaults all around the world that hold his art. And this is like millions of dollars worth of art, but it's all in boxes in warehouses. It's too expensive to be out on display in his house, the risk of somebody, you know, damaging it is too high, right? So, but nobody can experience it. So my wife worked on a project where the objective was to create a digital way to view the art and basically create this digital gallery. But this is, not everybody can, can afford to do that, but we can all afford to send our physical items to Courtyard and then have them be brought on chain. And then because you guys are creating this 3D model around. And I'm curious, who creates the 3D model? Is that Brinks that does that? Or is we like do. you we guys? Do. So we, we do. Okay. So Brinks provide the high-res scanning and then we create a model based on that. But yeah, to add to, to that, to art, for instance, I'm pretty sure 
there are some pieces you would never sell, but everything kind of has a price. And so right now, these like pieces are not there for sale. And maybe there is this specific piece that's like somebody falls in love with that has a lot of disposable income and want to make an offer that's way above market for that, that he cannot refuse, but he cannot see that piece. And so he would never be able to make an offer on this. And so opening it up to like the public as well provides a lot of value as well because you can make offers on things. And then there's the question of like confidentiality, uh, like some people would not want to get their art displayed and so on. That's the beauty of Web3. You can see what everybody has, but you don't need to know who is that person because it's a, mm-hmm. it's a wallet that's like anonymized. The only person who needs to know is like the people like holding it when you do KYC for that shit. It, it really makes collecting a lot more fun, right? Because it adds so much more experiences to it. Whereas like collecting is, it's so niche. There's, I mean, obviously a lot of people that do it, but it's, it's still very niche because again, you collect it and you can't do much with it. <clears throat> but now with this, when you can gamify, like you said, have leaderboards, um, you can have way more liquidity where people can buy any time to me. And then you can have experiences tied onto it. To me, it seems like collecting is going to have a, a massive boost in the amount of people that actually collect things because now you can just do more with it, right? That's my assumption of where the, the market goes. But uh, definitely, I- that's definitely our assumptions. And I think the way we approach this is, well, our, the way we will succeed is by limiting the friction and not talking too much about things that people, people don't know what Matic is. People don't know what gas fees are. What is this wrapped E things? And so the more we make it as simple as possible, still leveraging the whole technology and what it enables, but putting it in the like under the hood where you don't have to talk about it to fully experience the product, that's really where things are going to get to the next level. Right. And work on Speaking of that, though, our audience does care about the technology. So I am. Curious. I care a lot of. <laughs> I care a lot about it as well. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I am curious. I think you said it was on Polygon and you're going to open up to other chains or like what's the current sort of tech stack of it? Is it Polygon? I, for some reason, I thought it was on base as well, but I don't know why I thought that. And then you said you're going to open up on all chains. Or like, what's the plan moving forward for this? So my view on this is as long as like the thing is secure, it's very different in the traditional NFT. So we started on Polygon, we moved to ETH and then went back on Polygon because it doesn't really make sense to pay a $15 gas fee to trade like a hundred dollar card, right? No, no, no. It's very different in the traditional NFT where you could argue that an NFT on ETH is worth typically more, it's more premium than an NFT and like might get to much higher value than an NFT on Polygon, for instance. I still think it never makes sense to trade an NFT for 15 bucks when you can do it for less than a penny. On uh, yeah. Oh, but like, how much it's worth. <laughs> yeah. The, the difference there is this NFT value is the underlying assets. It's not more. It's just the underlying assets. And so as long as the experience is frictionless and like we can use with different platform, the chain to me, as long as it's a very secure chain and like it's scalable and so on, doesn't really matter from a consumer standpoint. We are not, for now, looking into additional changes from a consumer standpoint. Because imagine your dad collects baseball card, goes there and is like, it's, this one is on Ethereum, this one is on Solana, this yeah. one is on Polygon. What, what, what does that mean? Yeah. I, I don't know. That's more creates more confusion than anything, right? Um, right. I think we're open and I think there will be a world where we'll be on multiple chain and people based on where they want, if they're an expert, advanced feature, they can choose which change they want to be. Right. Uh, they could pay with whatever chain because I think the tech has drastically improved in the last even few months. There are things now where you can buy automatically swap. And I think it's going to be a much more multi-chain approach for 
people who want to bring all their disposable income that they have in crypto, regardless of the chain and be able to buy regardless of where what chain the asset is on. So is there any time when it doesn't make sense to bring a collectible on chain? Clearly, I guess if the collectible didn't have enough value, then there's probably a, you know, hey, if your collectible is worth less than 50 bucks, maybe it's not worth it. But I'm but it still brings a digital experience. It's yeah. brings a digital experience. Yeah. Like it's, if it's cheap, like I don't know. I think people collect things. There's a emotional association with the collecting, right? And maybe it's a twenty dollar asset, but maybe it's an asset that you grew up with and you love that Pokemon or you love that type of things, and that has more value to you. That may be true. I would say that the only piece that doesn't really make sense directly is if you want to wear it. And so if you want to wear it regularly, like it's going to take more time to send it to the vault and then get it back and so on. And so that might be a bit more difficult. So if you have a collectible t-shirt or sneakers that you want to wear a lot, it doesn't make sense to have it there. And maybe there will be a world where we will have two states where some is vaulted, some is not vaulted, but there's different. We want to make sure it's, it's already a hard concept to explain to people that I don't know anything on this. And so we try to make it as that simple and not add complexities to it because otherwise the second it becomes too complicated and not like that makes sense, you lose them. I think there will be a world where we will move towards a more complex things when people are more used to it and making it as clear as possible from a consumer standpoint, but it should be as that clear as possible. Like you get the digital, you don't get the physical. And you would be surprised how many people we have to reiterate, you don't get both together. Right. I remember when I first learned about Courtyard, I was like, wait, what? How can you do that? Like, it must be in some sort of vault or they're holding on to it. And then I went on the site. I was like, oh, it's Brinks. Like, what a sick idea. So it was actually quite interesting. But you're saying like maybe in the future you don't have it in a vault. How would that even work? Like, have you guys even thought that through yet? Or you're like, we don't care yet. We'll figure that out in five years from now. We haven't figured it out. There's a lot of different things, right? Like there's new technology like IYK. There's a lot of technology that's been there to put like chips on things mm-hmm. or like even heard of those companies spreading diamond powder that you don't see, but if you look, you can find it. Like their technology keeps on improving on that end. There might be just something that is just less valuable because it's not vaulted and you could technically fake it that you own it, but then it's similar to eBay. There is a lot of different things that we will explore. I don't think it's, it's not going to come next year. We have too much stuff to, to do, but I think there is a world where like the, either the technology or like the approach makes sense to get it there. Right. It's interesting that you bring up wearing it because I think that's the dilemma that a lot of collectors face. I think about sneakers, for example, and we had a friend of ours, T-Pan, a, a great writer in Web3 on our show about a month ago, and he got a first edition pair of artifact crypto kicks and he only got one pair so he's faced with this very tough decision of does he unbox those pair and then diminish their value as a result they're not going to be as high of a grade or does he keep them in a box and make them more of a collectible and then they become more valuable over time well here's the thing if you take that physical item and you vault it but you get a digital version of that item maybe you can wear it but you wear it in the digital world and i know we're not there yet but i could see that being the future where you solve this dilemma for people where they don't have to decide oh do i wear that watch or do i wear those sneakers or do i wear that supreme hat 
I can wear in the digital world, I'm not damaging the physical asset, but I still get to maintain that. So a, a funny thing, I don't know if you guys are familiar with a CSGO, Counter-Strike Go, this video game. There's a huge market for skins. So people can wear like this specific gun, gold gun or whatever. And people buy those for like thousands and thousands of dollars. They actually create fake if you use the gun or like the knife or whatever inside the game, it's worn once. And so there's actually a condition of the digital assets based on how much you use it in the game, which is kind of like this crazy, crazy way that goes even further, even further into that. But, but I think you're right. Like I, maybe that's a good point that like I spend my money very differently in crypto than I spend in the real world. So I have those off-white UNC Jordans, crazy six shoes. I bought them. I never wore them. I always told myself like, I'll wear them when I succeeded enough to get there to make them. Well, like I could spend like five ETH on an NFT, like maybe not right now, but like five ETH on an <laughs> NFT without even thinking and be like, hey, I just buy this one, right? And so it's a different way of people using your crypto than the money in the, in the real world. And that may be an advantage for us as well, because those people see that and it's a lot of like capitals that like it's cool assets that you can buy and you can buy with crypto. I want to touch on one more thing before we wrap up here. You mentioned at the beginning of the episode, this idea of interoperability and composability and the power of that. Can you give us an example of what that would look like? I think you, you mentioned a game being built on top of Courtyard. What is possible that's not happening yet, but down the road? So the most obvious use cases are borrowing money uh, to play in DeFi against those assets. So anyone could check that you own those assets, see the market value and borrow money on this. Another one is fractionalization. Some platform that do fractionalization could lock your assets in those platforms, fractionalize it and sell fractions of those high value assets. Another piece is somebody could technically build a game. I mean, those are trading card games, right? So we're not going to build ourselves, but somebody could basically look at like what core chart asset you have in your account, take the metadata of those assets and build a game on top of it. Things so you like literally play Pokemon, but play it with your digital your version. Yeah. Well, the physical version is in a vault. People could do that. We, we need to see like, I mean, they will need to see like how it works from an IP standpoint, because then you start leveraging like some of the IP of the game, but like that technically is feasible. And so you could use all those cards and like you magic, like there's a lot of cards that people never play because they're worth so much money that you would never put it in the deck, but like here you can play them digitally. Like so there's a lot that could be done for those. And so in the last piece is like, what if you could bring your sneakers to Call of Duty and have your avatar wear those sneakers? I don't know. Like the world is tons of possibilities. Well, I was just thinking with the Apple uh, glasses with AR and you're playing, let's say you're playing a physical game of magic or whatever. And you're like, oh, I have the expensive one, but I leave it at home. You just flip on your goggles and boom, it's that card, the expensive one shows up right there in the game with you. And you start using it along with the physical cards. That would be real weird, but I could see that. Why wouldn't that make sense? Yeah. Our, I think the idea of a trade show where the price of the ticket, you get like a AR goggles or something, or you need AR goggles to, to get there. Uh, yeah. And like, like, yeah, and like 2000 people going with their car digitally and like there's dealers at the table and like, let me show you what I have. <laughs> and then you have the whole thing and like, I mean, if you've seen the, the interview from like, I think it was Zuckerberg and Lex Friedman, it technology is yeah. getting there. Like it, it, it is getting there. Like a lot of investment is going towards that. And so we just bring whatever people love to that world. Right. Wow. So I, I want to pose a question to both of you before 
uh, we wrap up here. Is real world assets going to be the biggest driver of on-chain activity in the next bull run in the next year? What do you think? So I think there's going to be a few categories that that bring that. Like, And I think when you talk about real-world assets, I would split it in two. I mean, collectible is part of the real-world assets, and I think that's going to be a huge driver uh, of it. Of course, I'm biased, but I think it's going to be one of the main drivers <laughs> for that. I think there is a whole category of real-world asset, which is like tokenized gold, or not especially in NFTs, but like tokenized like securities and so on, which I think is going to be key as well. But there, the regulation is still a bit effy. So we will need to see how the regulation plays out on uh, on that front. Gaming has a lot of companies that raised a lot of money uh, in the past, and it takes time to build games. So I'm I'm really curious to see what the evolve like evolution of those games are going to play out, uh, because there's going to be a lot more games being shipped in the next two years uh, from those. So we'll see if some pick up, and you don't need like 50 of those to pick up. It could be one Fortnite type to pick up, and then suddenly everything is just blowing up. So those are the type of things that I'm quite excited about. I'm very bullish on the real estate on chain. I think regulation still needs quite a bit of time for it. But yeah, so I would say, yes, it's going to be one of the main categories to bring those assets. Yeah, I think it's going to be huge. I would add one more category to the real world assets coming on chain, which is fiat-backed stablecoins bringing money on exactly. chain, which is yeah. already crypto's killer app. And I see no reason why that doesn't continue to grow over the coming years and like in terms of volume stable coins is biggest by far it blows bitcoin volumes eth volumes any other tokens volumes out of the water and i don't see that changing anytime soon if anything it's probably just going to continue to grow so absolutely i think real world assets are the big thing which is kind of funny i don't think it's what most people thought <laughs> can i say no, i'm no. so happy I i'm so happy nobody used the word fidgetal anymore Oh, we've been saying that for like a year. Like this, this. Thing. I was like, I'm never gonna call anything digital. Like I'm not a launching company with that name. <laughs> was digital on the potential company name list for? No, 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 no. <laughs> never, ever, ever, ever. Um, actually, the, do you know the story of the name Courtyard? No, no, we'd love to hear it though. It's a cool story. So I speak French initially. I'm from Belgium. And my co-founder at the time when I started Courtyard was also French. And he thought that the playground was called the Courtyard. So in French, it's called the Recreation. And he was like, oh, it's like cards. We're going to trade cards in the playground. When you're a kid, those are trading cards. And you trade Pokemon cards in the playground. And so say it's going to, we trade it in the Courtyard. It's going to be called Courtyard. It's like the marketplace, the place where you trade cards. And so, yeah. Therefore, <laughs> pardon my French, we're called Courtyard. Which what's, I prefer the playground though. But yeah. But I prefer courtyard than playground because it really connects with this like Brinks vault, like old sort of very safe, very stable. So I think you guys, you guys nailed it. Okay. Before we wrap here, Nicholas, I wanted to give, give you a chance just to tell the audience where they can get involved in courtyard. We've obviously uh, talked lots about how you guys work, but if somebody wants to participate in a drop, when are any upcoming drops? Where can they find out about Courtyard? Where can they follow you or reach out to you if they want to connect? Definitely. So number one is to take a look at our website. It's called courtyard.io. So similar to Marriott Courtyard, but just with .io instead of .com. Otherwise, you'll just book an hotel. So go to the website. You can go to our, our social. We're very active on Discord. Like There's people talking 24-7 about like Pokemon cards, about cards in general. So 
I would go there. I would look at our Twitter. We do a lot of drops. So almost every week we have a different drop. So those are typically, we sell cards at average price, but you might get a more valuable cards or like a lower valuable card, but you see the list of all of it. So everything is fully transparent. And then if you own cards, you can either send them directly to the vault, get them in your account. You can always at any point in time say, I want to redeem the physical. I don't like this platform. We send it back to you. You can sell those on our platform. You can also buy from eBay directly to the vault. So those are like the main three things I would take a look. So look at the marketplace. There's tons of cards for sale. There is a lot of really, really rare and cool cards. So you would be surprised to see like how Pokemon has done a lot of like super small rare cards as well. And so I would just take a look at the marketplace, browse, give us our feedback. We're constantly improving. We're going to have a new redesign soon. Everything keeps on changing. We want to listen to your feedback, add new features, see what you care about because we're building for collectors. Awesome. And we'll include links to all those things in the show notes. Okay. Just a couple of fun questions before we finish off here. Nicholas, what's an NFT you'll never sell? I have some gold wicked craniums. So prior to, so fun story, when it happened, I was like, craniums was literally at the same time on this. And so I was like, I got some gold wicked craniums. I one ETH for each on this. Now they're worth nothing. I was like, craniums are the thing. I don't believe in those board apes. Craniums are going to be the big thing. And I, I was like, all in on craniums, which was the probably for the price I paid, I would have got like probably like 15 board apes for that. Um, and, so, yeah. uh, and so I took the wrong bet, which is fine. But yeah, so <laughs> I have those gold wicked craniums that are worth nothing right now, maybe 0.2 ETH or something. So I, w- I would say those ones, or I have some atom bombs that are pretty pretty cool. Mm. Uh, is it that you wouldn't sell them or you can't sell them? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if they go back to 2 ETH or more, maybe. <laughs> but like, I don't, just... think, I don't think the value they are right now are worth. And I was I was really like, these are like the gold ones. It's like the gold board. It's like, these are the yeah, like, yeah. top of the top. The rare... Oh man. One thing you bought recently for under $100 that brings you joy. Oh, super random. So if you guys ever have an issue with your bed sheets that always go up, I found those traps that you just put behind the bed sheets and it keeps it there the whole time. My whole problem is so, because you know, when you watch the bed sheet, it kind of shrinks. You put those, it's so random, but like it's drastically improved my life. (laughs) (laughs) It's literally like traps for bed sheet below. I actually really like that. I'm going to message you. Yeah, I didn't, didn't expect that answer. Huh? <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Nicholas lives in the real world as well, not just in the digital yeah, world. Yeah. Okay, last <laughs> question. If you had a billboard that 1 billion people were going to see, what would you write on it? It's a very difficult question. If you have a voice and a big message to share to the world, like you would need to make sure like that's impactful and makes sense. So whatever I would say right now would probably not be thoughtful enough for, for that. So sorry to not answer the questions, but like, I like to, and everything we do as well at Courtyard, we like to be thoughtful in the way we approach things. And so I think like, I would not say something like just out of the blue like this. I would want to make sure like it has the right impact for it, but it would probably be around a positive message for in, in general. Yeah. You're the first person to do that. And that is probably the best answer I think we've got to not be reactionary, which like, especially in this industry, everyone on Twitter, this is what everyone does. It's just like says what's on their mind, even if it's not a good thing. But to be like, yo, I can speak to a billion people. That's a big message and that has implications. I should think about what I need to say. I love that answer. Nicely done. 
I'm a little bit upset. Come on, man. You got to answer the question. <laughs> That's not how this works. <laughs> I made the fish. <laughs> uh, uh, Nicholas, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for making the time. To you and the whole team at Courtyard, thanks for pushing on-chain forward and bringing more people into the on-chain world. Very excited to continue to follow all of Courtyard's success in the future. Thank you so much for having me. This was, this was great. So keep it up on the great interviews and, and building the platform there. It's awesome. awesome. Awesome to see you there. Thanks for listening in, everybody. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Web3 Academy, your one trusted source to capitalize on the next big phase of the internet. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it and subscribe or follow so that you don't miss the next one. While you're at it, there's a link in the description for our free newsletter where we provide timely and relevant Web3 insights so you can confidently build and invest in Web3. Make sure to subscribe today. One final note. This podcast is for educational purposes only and nothing we say is financial advice. Crypto and Web3 are risky and you should never invest more than you're willing to lose. Thank you, friends, and see you in the next one.